Welcome to the University Elite Mental Health Podcast, where your host, Dr. Hans Watson, helps you to learn the why behind mental health issues that you or someone you love may be facing. Dr. Watson is a nationally renowned psychiatrist who is also an expert in psychotherapy, a war-proven leader of the U.S. military, and the only person we know to be an expert in psychiatry, psychodynamics, diet, leadership, trauma, addiction, marriage, education, and more. That's why he was the expert that was flown in to the other side of the country to train the therapists treating the victims and their families after the recent mass shootings you heard about in Florida. We are excited to help you to understand the why behind some real life situations. And now, your host, Dr. Hans Watson, D.O. Hi, welcome back everybody. This is Dr. Watson and I'm here yet again for another podcast on a topic that people are interested in. Uh, today we have uh, something exciting going on in our community. For some it's a horrible excitement, for others it's a good thing, but the bottom line is with COVID-19 we're seeing an increase in some of the people's reactions to the stress that comes with what's going on there. And one particular thing that has interested many people is conspiracy theories. People have noticed that there's an increase in conspiracy theories. Now, conspiracy theories aren't new. In fact, uh, conspiracy theories aren't always right, and they're not always wrong. Sometimes they're a little of both. A uh, perfect example would be in the early uh, turn of the 19th century, um, uh, maybe closer to the 20th century there, uh, we had a doctor who came out and said, actually, this disease that you all get are getting called malaria, it's spread by a mosquito. And most of the people said, that's a conspiracy theory. You are trying to blame this terrible illness on a bug. That's ridiculous. And they actually ridiculed this doctor. He later was given the Nobel Prize for his discovery that uh, the, the bacteria called Plasmodia falciparum, uh, which is the thing that causes, it's a, it's a protozoa that causes um, malaria. He had discovered that it was spread by the female mosquito and he actually discovered that through uh, studying birds. It was quite interesting. But that conspiracy theory proved to be true and anybody who believed him was called a quack for a while. And anybody who said he wasn't, well, the mainstream population pretty much said, hey, yeah, you don't believe the quack. So in the end of the day, I'm not here to tell you whether your conspiracy theory is right or wrong. Usually it takes time and science to prove those things. Other ones have said, you know, uh, political. Uh, certain people said, hey, President Obama is doing terrible things. And so that this other group of people who disagreed with them said, you're just buying into conspiracy theories. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're not thinking logically. And then later people said, well, this COVID-19, this is all part of a government conspiracy. And only time will tell who was right or who was wrong. But what time is not needed for is discovering what's the psychology behind a conspiracy theory and not whether a conspiracy theory is okay or not, but at what point does a conspiracy theory show us that there's some pathology, that there's something psychologically not right for these people? And at what point does it show those people who were terribly offended by others having conspiracy theories? Would that, at what point does that indicate in the non-conspiracy theory group that they have some pathology or they are psychologically not right. And so once again, we have uh, Jerem here with us today and uh, we're gonna just discuss this and allow you guys to peer in on our conversation and we kind of have some uh, ideas of where I think this will go, but as you all know that have watched uh, my podcast, we just let it flow and I use the psychological, psychiatry, the medicine, the psychoanalytics or psychodynamics, and we just start to understand the why behind things and allow people to discover for themselves whether what they're experiencing is okay or whether they might want to find a, a way to strengthen and, and change some things. So welcome, Jerem. It's great to have you and what an exciting and fun uh, topic we're about to embark on. Thank you, Dr. Watson. I love conspiracy theory. 
Yeah, this is this is one that I think uh, many people around the nation, we all have some form of a conspiracy theory. And the problem is conspiracy theory is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Uh, tell me Absolutely. what's your favorite conspiracy theory that, that you've heard or, or that you, uh, what are some that you've heard of or what are some of your favorite ones that you like to, uh, like to uh, give a little attention to once in a while, whether you believe them or not? Ooh, let's see. I don't, I don't know if I want to come out of the conspiracy closet just <laughs> that boldly, but I will say on that note of everybody having conspiracy theories, I have things that to me just seem totally logical. It feels like all the evidence is there. I don't know how anybody else can't believe it. And my wife thinks I'm absolutely crazy for it. And then she turns around and she has things that she believes that I think are absolutely ludicrous. And so it's amazing to see, oh, it's, it's not just that I'm a crazy thinker, or that she's a crazy thinker, it's we really do have things that we each have our own kind of absurd beliefs or unprovable beliefs. Um, I don't know how you'd want to classify that, but it, it's interesting to see, like, she'll look at me sometimes and say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, that's just nutso. And, but then she'll say something like, oh, I don't believe in that. And I'm like, wait, what? So. One of those that I get a lot uh, from a lot of people um, out there is vaccinations. Now, you talk about a, a terribly uh, controversial and, and a terrible one because uh, for a while there, there was belief that uh, vaccinations were causing autism. And then science came out and has thoroughly uh, debunked that with thousands of, uh, of, of studies and meta-analyses uh, and that. Yet there is still a strong belief and there's, there's enough evidence. And when you combine that with people's emotions on either side of it, and today we're not going to get into whether you believe uh, any of these conspiracy theories that we'll talk about are true or not. We're just going to get into the psychology behind it and when it is pathological and should be uh, considered. And when it is, uh, it's healthy. But, you know, there are so many fun ones. And, and so as a doctor, I, I often get asked about the, the immunization one. And I have to be very careful because uh, my job is I want to make people emotionally stronger while still giving them the best scientific information I have. And so uh, I have to be very careful when I, when I talk about uh, certain ones because yeah. uh, there's That's always so many. That, that one's tied to so many other things now with people voting about mandatory vaccines and it's affecting freedoms and affecting other things, where it's not just whether you believe it or not, it's like, but it's tied to all these other things. And so I think it makes that, um, that intensity of proving your side right or wrong through the roof compared to a lot of other ones. And you've hit on something very important when it comes to uh, conspiracy theories. And that is, you just mentioned whether it's right or wrong. And right. that's the first step that we would want to explore is what makes it so important to this person that they would then become willing to sometimes enter the pathology range to where being right is worth severing a friendship or oh, yeah. interrupting a, a, a relationship with a loved one. And so that's the first thing that, that I look at and I say, okay, without worrying about whether the conspiracy theory is right or wrong, why are these people at this time willing to sever a relationship over their side that they're taking on this issue? And so that's quite a fun one. And what I've discovered after working uh, you know, in psychotherapy when I work with people, oftentimes they will, uh, they will certainly come in and share their deepest, darkest uh, secrets and their, and their true feelings uh, because they know I'm going to sh accept it. I'm gonna use it to try to understand them and then I'm gonna share with them my understanding of what's going on and they will then take that and decide what to do with it. They will, when we start getting farther and they learn to trust, 
we get to a point that they start saying, huh, that is indicative of this, this, and this, the things that I've explained. And so, you know, uh, have you ever noticed that somebody is willing to sever a relationship over their opinion on a conspiracy theory? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially vaccines, like you mentioned, and other political ones. But I've noticed people are so much more polarized now than the way I was raised. Um, I, I just never saw that growing up. And part of that might have been my age. But I also think that even as I've been older and aware of things in my adult life, you know, the last 20 years, I've, I've noticed it's, it's really become very polarizing. If you don't validate my beliefs, you're cut off. You're dead to me. Yes. And what we're looking at with that in psychologically, uh, that indicates a few things to us. First and foremost, psychologically, I've noticed that more often than not with the patients that I'm working with, those that become offended when somebody disagrees with them tend to be in a situation that is really a difficult one and they feel out of control. And a lot of our therapy then becomes to coming to grips with not being in control of certain things. Um, you know, uh, many of my parents who have autistic children, you talk about a, a terrible situation to where you feel completely out of control. You didn't do anything wrong that we know of, and yet your child has autism, and that child was on a normal glide path for development, and and uh, maybe that's the wrong term, uh, using a little uh, aeronautical lingo there, but uh, <laughs> that, that developmental path was in the right direction and suddenly it levels off and can even go down a little and then it never raises at the same rate and that's that's essentially what we see in autism so you see that that parent at that point has lost control of something they were trying to do and it's it they're overwhelmed this is one time when i see parents that latch on to a conspiracy theory to where they no longer feel safe not doing that. And if you look at why that conspiracy theory might be valid to them, it tells a lot about them. And in fact, the, the reason that this is so important for me is it allows me to be patient with those who I who hold a conspiracy theory that is ridiculous, that has no evidence towards it. And there are a lot of them. Um, and But what do I learn about the patients? How can I help them? Well, if you feel out of control, maybe my focus needs to be helping you get back into control of something. And so that is one of the key things that I see with, with uh, conspiracy theorists that get to the point that they're willing to sever a relationship is they generally are out of control in their life. And so what do you think as I, as I drop some, some psychodynamics on you there? Well, I've, I've seen it go both ways on that particular topic. Um, and I, I think that parents get, um, like you say, where they, they're, they've lost control, they're backed into a corner, and, and that's a scary situation. But I, I think that um, guilt and blame, uh, how does that affect that? Because I've seen some people who um, are very adamant that the vaccines have nothing to do with it and they cannot can they cannot even entertain the thought mm -hmm. or um they just have very strong confirmation bias that nope that could not have had anything to do with it and sometimes it feels like they don't want to admit well i i'm the one who made the choice to do this for my child and i can't accept that this result could be this way and then you have other parents who are like I, I need someone to blame. I trusted the system. I trusted the doctor. I trusted whatever. I went and did this. And then now my child is different. I want to blame the vaccine for it. And, and so I think you can have people that are in the same situation, backed into the same corner, lash out in completely polar opposite ways. Well, how, how does that, how does that work? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I like where your mind is going with that. Um, so if you look at needing to blame somebody, blaming somebody is a form of taking control of something in your life. You okay. are able to assign where it is so that now you can ensure that that thing no longer can harm you or anybody else. Right. And if in fact, if in fact uh, there are other things about it. So in the case of, of um, uh, in the case of, of COVID-19, okay. you know, we won't just harp on the, uh, on the vaccinations because I, I don't want to make this to where, where it's about one topic. Let's keep it general. But um, COVID-19, what if you are experiencing, you're an entrepreneur and you're experiencing difficulty in getting new customers because the economy is just shutting down. Everybody is socially isolated and they're staying in, so they're not going to the restaurant. So the restaurant guy's not buying supplies. So the supply guy is no longer, and, and you know how the, how the supply chain affects, uh, we're all interconnected. And so we shut down those consumers, everything else shuts down. Well, what does this person have control over? If they can blame something, that is a small way of taking control and then saying, therefore, I need to be prepared to, and they usually are prepared to do this grand thing, uh, whether it's not vaccinate any of my kids, and I'm gonna ignore the drop in polio rates and the drop in these rates because it's a harm. Or I'm, okay, I'm doing this, I'm ready when it's time to overthrow the government who is creating COVID-19. And I don't know whether they are or not, that's not, the, not my purpose here today, but right. you can see how this is one small way. In fact, we see a similar thing instead of going to a, a people who are out of control, feeling out of control, that's an that's a important clarification, people who are feeling out of control in, in the important parts of their lives. And you notice I didn't say every part of their life, but the important ones to them, they oftentimes, instead of going to conspiracy theories, they may become a hoarder. They may start to get things and never let go because they can control that. Now, why they control that stuff for deep psychodynamic work in therapy, you know, and, and undoing that, usually it goes back to the childhood, but you can see how it really is. Blaming somebody gives you a chance to take control of whatever it is you're blaming. If that's to stop vaccinating or just the opposite, you're so offended by, by uh, the, the anti-vaccination crowd that I'm gonna vaccinate my child early. Just right. to prove, because it scares you, scares you to death. Right. There are equal amount of people on this vaccination one. Well, they're terrified of measles, mumps, and rubella, and right. so they're vaccinating the first chance they get, even before it's recommended. Right. I, I don't I see that too often. That. Actually, that that topic right there. So, it it feels like the message I'm getting is that it's the same psychology for both sides. Yes. Yes. You've got anti-vaxxers who are afraid that their child is going to be damaged and that they are deliberately going to do something that damages or harms their child. You've got the pro-vaxxers who are afraid that their child will get ill, that they deliberately neglect something and as a result, their child could get ill. And so I find a lot of times like you've got polar opposite actions polar opposite behaviors and beliefs that all trace back to the exact same psychology. Yes. I think yes. Both, uh, all parents, most parents out there want what's best for their kids. They want to protect their kids. They, they just want to take care of them. They just somehow, and, and when you mentioned the hoarders, I, I was going to ask, um, and maybe I'm moving on before you answer that uh, same psychology topic. But with hoarders um, or hoarding, would that be less feeling like they're actually taking control or in control and more just um, severing others' control on them? Uh, I'm not sure there needs to be a distinction there because sometimes taking control can be emotionally of a situation. Sometimes it can be physically with things. Sometimes, but in some aspect that's important in their life, they are taking control. Now that can be healthy. 
It's a problem when you need to take control so badly that you now are impairing other people from being able to maintain a relationship. You're, you can be mad at family members that, that think your, your theory's crazy. Well, we all think something's, something's off about each other, but right. we love each other in, st- in spite of that. Why then would some people that are pro or anti-conspiracy theory be willing to do that? It's because they're so, they are so desperate to have control of something that when you disagree with their conspiracy theory or you disagree with their anti-conspiracy viewpoint, mm-hmm. you are actually threatening their ability to be in control. So they're not actually defending against, when you get down to this, the psychological level, they're not actually defending against you thinking that the government is not out to control everybody through through giving you a vaccination that's going to implant a chip in you. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to the biggest worst case scenario, right? The 666 uh, chip. Yeah, the 666 chip. But they're not defending against that because most of them think, well, you're the only one that's not going to know it. But why would they then be willing to sever a relationship? It's because if they continue and you prove it wrong, now they're back to square one where they weren't in control of the things that were so important. For example, I've seen clear and convincing empirical evidence from, from my patients. Whenever we have males who just absolutely tie a lot of their self-esteem to being a provider in the home and they lose their job or they're struggling to maintain a job that they feel dignified for their training level, oftentimes these are the very people that will find a distraction in something in control. And whether it's a conspiracy theory to distract them from the idea of sometimes being humiliated that they can't afford to provide the things that they know their family deserves. And that doesn't even have to be a lack of food. Sometimes it's all I can provide are the necessities and I should provide better for my family or for other people. It is the necessities, but for your level, you are currently failing in this male example I'm giving. Then we will often see these people gain a, attachment to a conspiracy theory they just dig their nails in to the point they don't want anybody to tell them they're wrong because if they did they might have to face the idea of i'm not able to support my family the way that i want to right now and if i stop focusing on the conspiracy theory i might go back to the other thing that makes me feel out of control and makes me feel inadequate and so now they're willing to sever unconsciously sever a friendship or a relationship because it's so painful to go back to knowing uh, I'm unemployed and not providing for my family. Sometimes for these, these uh, males in my example, and my wife is the only one with a job. I shouldn't have a wife. That's pretty, you, you know, the, the, the stereotypical thing that I'm describing there. So that's, that's really what most people who are willing to, sever a relationship based on their view of anti or pro conspiracy theory they're really defending against that uh situation where they're forced back to confront the thing that's so difficult and they wouldn't be using this if they knew how to solve it at that time this is kind of a maladaptive respite from their stresses okay so if i come along and I pick apart your conspiracy theory. I'm, I'm tearing down your comfort cocoon. Even worse, even worse. You're tearing down the last defense I have against feeling completely worthless, like a complete wow. failure. And so you can see why I don't want to tear down somebody's conspiracy theory. In fact, when I hear people buying anti or pro conspiracy theory to the point that they're ready to sever the relationship with me. What I hear is, wow, this person is hurting probably near or at the worst they've ever hurt in their life. They're so fragile right now. I'm instead looking at ways of helping them to overcome anything in their life 
just anything. And now once they overcome that, they will have something they're in control of. And so what do I do with some people? For some people that hold this conspiracy theory, I've had some that we worked on their diet. And we didn't work on fixing at all. We just worked on, instead of drinking 24 beers at night, what if we cut that down to just 20? And that's kind of an extreme example. It's not real, right. I'm making it up. <laughs> but, but you can see how it, it does no good for me to, to point out, here are the thousands of studies on anti-vaccination because they're emotionally invested because this is the only distraction they have left to stop them from, from feeling like they are completely worthless. Well, at least I know about the conspiracy that you are ignorant to. There's right. something they finally have that makes them worthwhile. They're in the know in something. Yeah. Or yeah, you're the idiot because you believe in anti, you're the, you're the idiot because you believe in this anti-vaccination voodoo. And right. if I tear that down, and show them where vaccinations do harm for people. Let's give a little love to the anti-vaxxer crowd too. Um, then, then at that point, what are we looking at there? If I'm tearing them down in that moment, oftentimes we're going to see them crumble. I had a, I had a fun, uh, not fun, I have a good example of this. Young lady had a brother who she did not like. Um, this was a uh, drug abusing person uh, had uh, she suspected that this this drug abusing brother had killed people um, in gang related stuff um, and was quite a bad person uh, this this brother ended up getting murdered and uh, the the news reports all it was over everywhere but the news reports thought that it was a drug related uh, a deal gone bad okay. And this young lady in therapy with me, what did she do? She came in and told me how one of her friends had said, finally, you don't have to deal with him. And this was a person that she had told me for, for uh, many, many months, how she was so sick of her brother and him taking advantage. She severed that relationship with that friend who had been a lifelong friend and just said, how dare she be so disrespectful to this brother? Well, the brother was not a good person from how she had described him. Right. Yet the pain of losing that family member, she was so fragile that she couldn't come to grips with that. So she endorsed the equivalent of a conspiracy theory, which was he was a saint who was just misunderstood. And as I helped her to start to develop some strength in other areas and other areas where she could do that, and it took a few months before she did, Within a few months, she said, you know, I'm amazed how I started thinking he was good. He was a bad person. I think he killed other people. She had gone back to not needing that, that wild and extreme belief of her brother suddenly being a saint because she had healed enough to not feel out of control and overwhelmed by the stressor of losing a brother. Wow. And it's perfectly normal. But what if I had gone right. in and said, he's a bad person. You told me he's a bad person. And you've said this before. And here's the evidence that he's a bad person. Well, I'm tearing down the only defense she has left. Right. Could part of that be that he was the target when he was alive and she had something to complain about and kind of throw things on. And then when she lost that, it had to shift to a, a different outlook on it or was that only um kind of her crutch or her focus her her access of control after he had, he had died yeah it, it almost was, feels like there's a little bit of control there in having um the villain to to blame and say well yeah things are difficult in my life i've got this horrible brother i've got this you know in her case, it was not so much beforehand. She had just mentioned him before, but it wasn't really stressing her. She, she was quite a high-functioning individual, um, and, and it literally was just such a shock to lose a family member. For this young lady, it was the first immediate family member and, and possibly even first extended family member that she had she'd experienced death wow. with. And so in this case, it's it, possible that what you're saying is right, but it, it, I, for my memory, it doesn't really fit because as soon as she 
uh, I like your, your scenario of a crutch. As soon as she had gotten healthy enough and in control in other parts of her life, she never came back to that theory. She even herself said, that was ridiculous. And then we talked about how did you respond when you were at your most desperate time? And we brought awareness to her of that. And so in the future, whenever she had problems, I never saw her get that low again because she had identified it, built on that, used that as a strengthening experience. And then sometimes she would come in and say, um, I reached out to a friend because this overwhelming thing happened. And, and she didn't have to sever any relationship. She did reconcile with the friend and said, you were right, everything you said was fine. I was just overwhelmed and I couldn't take it at that time. And she said the friend was completely understanding, said, oh, forget about it, no sweat. I can't imagine going through what you did. And so, so yeah. I, that one doesn't quite fit, but um, I, I like what you're thinking because sometimes that may apply. Interesting. But one thing that I really like about what you just said is that um, you essentially identified a crutch with this person and you addressed it and there may have been prescriptions as well, but what's standing out to me right now is that you addressed this uh, way of thinking and you changed the way of thinking to where she, she, I think you said at one point that she mentioned, what was I thinking? He, he was, you know, and she'd been able to put that into perspective and get better, improve her situation to where I assume she, she's probably not even meeting with you anymore. No, you're, and, you're exactly that's right. A, that's pretty profound because I, I feel like a lot of people get, it's, it's almost like, um, like a life sentence. If, if you get to that point that you say, I need a psychologist or I need a psychiatrist. And we, as a society, I feel like we look at that as something that, um, with some of the same kind of conspiracy thinking, where it's like, that is final. Oh, if you need a psychologist, you are broken. There's something chemically wrong in your brain that cannot be uh, remedied. It can only be medicated. And this is the rest of your life. You can't change. And so, I mean, how does that relate to conspiracy thinking? So I love what you're saying there. Um, I like to use the metaphor. Uh, many people will say you're broken if you get mental health care. That's a, quite a common uh, false belief out there. In fact, in in the video we put on that uh, uh, on the front page of our website, um, we talk about that as one of the three false beliefs that cause people to not get care. And and uh, uh, what we're looking at there, the metaphor I like to use is. Think of this as you're going through life and you have weight on your shoulder. Think of a big barbell that goes on. You've seen people do the squats where they have the bar that goes across right. the back of their neck. Yep. And your stressors that you're under represent adding more weight to both sides of that barbell. Well, at first you could, you could carry around a bar for a long time and, and especially you'd get used to it to where the bar, you forget it was there sometimes pretending that it wouldn't just fall off. This is an emotional one that doesn't just fall off. And so you add more weight. But then what happens when you get into something that is you, nobody should have to be prepared for, you know, such as the death of a loved one, your first one, well, that's more weight than you can do at the time. And to get mental health care, all you're saying is, this is more weight than I can lift. How can I get a little of this weight off just for long enough that I can stand back up with this weight. It's caused me to go clear to the ground. And so you take a few of those, those weights off of either side, and now suddenly you're able to stand again. Well, for some people, getting the weight off temporarily is just believing in a conspiracy theory. That's, that's something to distract them so that the weight just comes off. They just need a rest for a little bit. And then you know what, I'll stand back up when I'm healthy and we can start putting the weight back on and I'll get to where I'm strong enough to handle that weight. But right now I'm overwhelmed. It was just too much all at once. And so let me take care of these two weights first. And once we've lifted them, we'll put them away. And then you can put the next two weights on and I'll lift them up and we can put them away. And right. that's kind of how, how you can look at this. And so as you look at mental health care, stop looking at it as you're broken and start looking at it as man, I'm so sorry that all that's been heaped on your shoulders all at once. 
I'm glad you're getting help, somebody that can help you put a few of those weights away because you're strong enough. It's right. just eventually, doesn't matter who you are, there will be more weight than it's humanly possible to lift. So it's amazing if you go to a gym and there's a perfect stranger on the bench press and he's going to do this big bunch of weight. You'll get guys walking by in the vicinity that are, oh, let me spot you. And it's kind of like you're saying, like, you're not broken if you need a spotter, someone there just to, like, help a little bit when it gets to be too much. And, and in the, the real world, in that analogy, people's mindset is such that they'll be like, oh, here's some guy about to lift weights. I can spot him. Don't, don't know him from Adam, but I'm going to help out. And we don't do that in so many other areas of life. It's um, as if you, you were prepared to move to the next phase, which is, well, what do we do when somebody, when we're on either side? Because guess what? If you're living a real life where you're trying to confront your adversity and grow stronger and develop and teach your kids to overcome hard things, well, then guess what? You're going to get in that point sometime in your life where you are overwhelmed and you need some sort of a, an extreme belief, a conspiracy theory or something else just to survive for a little while. So how do we react if we recognize this in ourselves? Well, the first thing we can do is recognize, what am I compensating for? Um, I had a time before I graduated from college and I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And it was just before I talked to a friend who said, you know, you can go to med school even if you didn't graduate in biology. And I was like, wait, you can? And I was thinking, what am I going to do for a living? And I started gaining some, some wild beliefs. I, you know, maybe I got into fanatical into college sports, which I did. Right. And it got to the point where my self-esteem was tied to whether that football team that I've never played for, and I have nothing other than I can scream for them at the game, but it got to the point that my self-esteem and my happiness was tied to their performance that week. Or is it some other form? Well, if that's the case, we can recognize it on ourselves and say, okay, A, do I need to get some professional help? Or B, is there something I can take control of in my life to recognize I'm not there? So in my case, I looked at it and said, okay, what would it take to go to medical school? The first step I did was literally just to go to the, to the university's pre-admissions page for medical school and say, what are the prerequisite classes? And it was within two weeks that I had enrolled into night school. I already had my bachelor's degree, but I didn't have some of the prerequisite classes. Within two weeks, I had enrolled and was taking the first prerequisite class for medicine. I, at that point, I was now taking control of something. I no longer was tying my emotions to a conspiracy theory, or in my case, fanatical uh, following of a, a college football sports team. Right. And it doesn't really matter like you're not saying here this is a problem if you tie yourself to a um a crazy fanatical conspiracy theory it's even if your conspiracy theory is true like the example of the malaria that turned out to be true and he won a nobel prize so but being fanatic about something even if it's true is an indication of a problem Yes, because it, using my example, I started developing hard feelings towards people that liked the rival school. Mm. Do you, do you right. notice I was so fragile that if you didn't like what I liked and you weren't as fanatical, I felt threatened because what if my school wasn't as good as I was making them out to be? Now I'm gonna have to focus in the mirror. And I wasn't strong enough to focus in the mirror at that point. As mm. soon as I enrolled in school, I now was in control. And I was able to tell people, I'm actually going back to school. I'm taking prerequisites for medical school. And I did have some people say, you'll never get into medical school. Aha, I win. No. Right. But, uh, but what it did do is those people, I was just able to say, well, that's your opinion. Maybe you're right but I'm not going to go down without giving it the old try. I'm going to go down swinging. And so just by doing that, what if, what if now we switch it and you're that person who is offended by somebody that wants to push 
They're so fragile that they want to push their views on you. Well, I, that's where I go next. And that's where I tell people, well, if it were me first, I would recognize that they are having such a, an emotional uh, crisis in their life for whatever reason. And maybe you don't know it because it's so personal to them. Um, I've seen this with people who are being divorced, who, who they had an unfaithful spouse and they've never actually looked in the mirror to see if they were a good spouse many times. And, and usually it's only in psychotherapy that they come out and they say, Oh, I did that, that, and that wrong. I was completely unaware. Um, right. But that these people oftentimes, what you have to do in that case is be completely kind yet honest. And you say, Hey, when you push that theory on me, I don't mind hearing about it for a few minutes, but when you keep pushing it and insinuate that I'm an idiot because I don't agree with you, that's really hurtful. And normally these people will, will react in the way they can. If they aren't in a position to where they can show empathy for others, they'll generally withdraw from you because you just made them see that. If they are in that place, they may come to you and say, I'm so sorry, I didn't intend to do that. I got wrapped up into it. Please forgive me. And suddenly they'll treat you much differently. And so that showing that love and just telling them, this is how, you know, you don't tell them you're right or wrong. Right. And the way you're going to point that out, your example was not an argument. It was just, hey, this hurts me. Let's talk about something else. It wasn't uh, confronting it by trying to, maybe if I convince them they're wrong, then they'll leave it alone and I don't have to talk about this anymore. And, and I, I see that a lot too, where it's like, I'm so tired of hearing about this. I've got to convince you you're wrong, change your thinking rather than just, you have a right to think what you think, just leave me out of it. Stop pushing it on me kind of thing. I had a friend one time who, who was pushing a conspiracy theory on me so heavily. And I finally said to that friend, um, friend, right now what you're doing, it kind of feels overwhelming. Like if I disagree with you or I point out some evidence that disagrees with you, like I'm going to hurt your feelings. Are you wanting to hear my perspective or did you just need somebody to listen to you? And my friend was very, very wise and he just said, to be honest, I don't want to hear your things. I just need somebody to hear me because I'm hurting. Hmm. And I said to him, great. Um, I'm happy to hear you knowing that I don't believe it. And he goes, I don't even need you to believe it, man. I just have nobody to talk to. And in the end, he said, actually, I think I'd be just as good if we talked about something else. And so our conversation changed. But just doing that, and we ended up being very close. And he ended up coming to me and saying, hey, can I talk to you? And I was the only one who he trusted to talk about. And it was some terrible, terrible betrayal in his marriage and, and whatnot that had gone on. But at the end of the day, it was showing that kindness that that person then saw me as, as enough. And, and it was surprising how blunt they were when I said, are you wanting to hear my perspective? Because I'm getting the feeling you're wanting to educate me and I don't want an education right now if you wanted to share. And, and, and when he just said, actually, no, I don't want to share. I just need to vent. It, it also gave me the relieved my pressure because I didn't, I knew that it wasn't a time where I needed to, to share with them. They didn't want to know the facts. They weren't asking me because of my scientific knowledge. They were asked, they were telling me because I was trusted. That's interesting because I've even gotten in trouble in situations like that for agreeing with the individual. Um, and like now I can recognize, oh, they just need somebody to listen to them. They didn't need someone to be like, oh, I can say it better. Let me agree with you and say it my way. They just, yeah, like, and so I, th I think that's an important skill as well is to, to be able to recognize, that, uh, and, and th these are pretty big indicators that we're talking about now that I never knew were indications of the things that you're saying they are, but to be able to, to realize, oh, wow, like this person's really heavy on the conspiracies. Maybe they just need to be recognized. Maybe they need to be heard. Maybe they just need to to get it out and and that's where the good idea is if you're somebody who recognizes that you're severing relationships because of a conspiracy theory you need to seek out care from somebody who is an 
elite provider, elite psychological provider, because uh, the problem would be is if you do that and you go to somebody that doesn't have quite as much expertise, sure, they're going to do good work, but they're probably going to wrap you in the comfort cocoon. And the comfort cocoon is not a healthy place to be long term. And for those that don't know the comfort cocoon, quickly we'll say it. This is where you would go into certain, uh, mental health treatment and the people never help you to see what's going on underneath. They wouldn't help you to see you're hurting in these areas. What can we do to strengthen you in these areas? Instead, they just say, oh, poor you. You're the victim. You're, you know, you've been wronged. Even if that's true, that doesn't help you to grow stronger. It's right. okay to do that short term and say, wow, you have been through a lot. Now, how do we grow from this? And so if you go to somebody that's not quite as well trained, they're going to put you in the comfort cocoon. And they should, because if you go to a provider and they get into some of these deep psychological things, not knowing how to navigate them safely, oh, they can mess you up psychologically. That is, that is a real risk. But if right. you go to somebody who understands these things, who's studied it, that an elite provider, if you will, they can help you through that so that you come out and you look back like I do and say, you know, I still love my sports team. I still fly out and watch my sports team at an away game at a neat location every single year. And, and I love them to death, but I no longer have hard feelings to anybody who likes the rival. And in fact, I actually went to this rival school after I, uh, after I got a little better. And so uh, and I, I love both schools now. That shows you how even a weakling like me can can heal and get a little better to where they can do that. So if you're in that position and you're hurting and you recognize I am I am severing or harming relationships, it's a good time to get some get some a spotter, if you will, a mental health professional that can help you. And if you recognize somebody that's that way, sometimes being kind yet but putting appropriate kind boundaries there that's the best way to help them because they'll be able to predict and you'll become a trusted person so that right. that's i don't know did i answer your question or talk around it yeah no i think you did um I, I like though that you pointed out that the comfort cocoon is necessary it is important but you still have to complete the metamorphosis and come out a butterfly on the other side you can't just stay there um, I, I loved to find monarch caterpillars when I was a kid. And um, I remember, it seemed like it was just really easy when I was a kid. We would go on Sunday walks and we'd always find these monarch caterpillars and I would catch them and bring them home and watch them create their chrysalis and then come out a butterfly. And I loved that so much. And I wanted that experience for my kids. And finally it happened. I've, I've found one monarch caterpillar in the entire time that I've had kids. I've got five kids now, 14 years. Um, it was a few years ago, but we found this caterpillar. We brought it home. We did the same thing that I'd always done with my dad, put it in a jar, put holes in the top and everything. And it, it climbed up the twig and it curled up and it, it was like it started making its chrysalis. And then it just died. It just stayed there and died and we watched it for days kind of shrivel into this caterpillar and the, this just hanging caterpillar there it was so disappointing but I think that's um, kind of the difference that you're talking about there from what is often a very common level of care to the elite level of care is that I feel like it's common to get you in that comfort cocoon and that's kind of a it's just a comfortable place to be like People don't want to leave. And you're saying that, yeah, you have to go into it with the mentality that's like, I'm going to get a bit of relief. But then I'm also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be pushed and it's going to be hard, but then that's going to give me the freedom that, you know, which do you want relief or freedom to just fly? I quite frequently hear many of my patients make comments such as, why didn't I discover this 20 years ago? I've been in treatment for 20 years. Why didn't anybody point this out? I could have done so much more. I could have, and they, they, and we have to then process kind of the mourning of the fact that 
a lot of their potential is wasted. And it right. really is harmful long-term to leave somebody in that comfort cocoon. And I like your metaphor because they really do emotionally lose some of that strength and start to just contract and shrivel up till uh, I've seen some people that just become helpless. Now you're never too far gone, but sometimes it's going to take a little more work and a little more time if you've been in there for too long. The good thing is, uh, you know, you're never past the point of helping as long as you have at least a desire to get better. That's literally all it takes. We can work with that. But right. uh, that also is an, it takes an elite level of training to be able to understand, here's how I push you without killing you, getting you strong enough to get out of your chrysalis. Here's yeah. how I, and metaphorically is what we hope. Uh, um, and so that's, that's where University Elite, we love to do that. We love to take people, and I never tire of them here saying to me, thank you, I wish I had discovered you years ago. Um, and, and the other doctors that, that we have uh, working with us uh, oftentimes say the same thing. And so, so at this point, we're, we're wrapping it up. Any final thoughts here, Jaron, with, uh, with conspiracy theories? I hope it's a lot more clear that why people have them, why we need to be patient with conspiracy theories, but yet how we can set up healthy boundaries, or what are the resources if you recognize in yourself or, or a loved one that this is getting to the point that they're really in a place where it's not emotionally healthy, uh, to how to reach out, how to do that. So any final thoughts other than what I just recapped there? I think that's pretty great. So I've, as usual, you've got my mind reeling. So I do have more thoughts, but uh, <laughs> I, I think... I think we should wrap it up at this. Cause. <laughs> well, very good. So if any of you are out there, remember, we're putting content on, on our website as quickly as we can. We're trying to get information out there. Uh, we're, we're currently producing a lot, of the, a lot of people who are overwhelmed to do this. They've had traumas in their life, and uh, we're not licensed in every single state. And so remember, you can always log on to our website and go to the uh, in-demand section and, and request that we come to your state. And when there's enough of a demand, we will expand it to the, get licenses in the state where you're at. Um, as well as for those that, uh, that want to start to learn more about what's happening, we are still producing and they're coming out very quickly, all of our, uh, all of our seminars to where uh, we expect the PTSD seminar is almost completed to where you'll be able to understand what PTSD is, what's going on in your brain, what the treatments are, and what it will take to get better, and we just demystify it. We make it understandable. So those resources are always there. Universityelite.com is the place, and we look forward to the next, uh, next podcast we do. And as always, if you have questions, click on the Ask a Doc section on the website, put it in there, and if you're like this one, we just may do a podcast to answer your question, uh, or we may put something else out. So uh, we're happy to see it and we'll catch you on the next time.